0: This is Pittsburgh Explainer from 90.5 WESA. Every week we help you catch up on the headlines from southwestern Pennsylvania. It's Friday, March 5th. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Liz Reed. Governor Tom Wolf announced this week that K-12 teachers, child care workers, and other school staff will be prioritized for vaccination. The state plans to set aside doses of the newly approved one-dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine for this purpose. The move comes as President Biden says he wants all educators to have access to the vaccine by the end of this month. Here to explain what this all means for Pennsylvania schools is WESA's Sarah Schneider. Sarah, thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, Liz, thanks for having me.
0: So I understand that the vaccines for K-12 through teachers and staff will be distributed through intermediate units. These are the entities that support school districts in Pennsylvania. Um, what about daycares and things like that? How will those workers get vaccinated?
1: Sure. So child care workers will also receive this Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and they're going to get it from private pharmacies that are partnering with the state. And those pharmacies they're receiving doses from the federal government and so not Pennsylvania will not be sending them to the pharmacies and then the pharmacies have agreed to call childcare workers to schedule those appointments and so the centers have to, you know, submit that information to the state. It's kind of sounds a little convoluted, but child care workers will get theirs from um, the, the private pharmacies. And then, as you said, the state plans to open these clinics for teachers. And they've said that will happen by March 10th, um, which is a lot of work, but uh, schools will receive a survey that they can give to their staff. And um, then AMI, which is the healthcare group that the state is using, uh, will schedule those vaccines and reach out uh, personally to teachers.
0: Now, there are well over 200,000 educators and support staff in Pennsylvania. How are they going to prioritize people within this broad group?
1: Right. So the state expects to get 94,000 doses this first week, um, and then 30,000 doses will go to the pharmacies. The health department says that they've been told by the federal government that they will receive more doses by the end of the month. Um, but as as you said, there there's a shortage because there are two hundred thousand. Um, you know, the Wolf administration says a rough estimate is that they will need two hundred thousand doses um, to cover everyone because there are about one hundred twenty one thousand public school, um, which includes charter school teachers, and then another hundred thousand. Full-time and part-time support staff that also need to be in the buildings to help mitigate risk whenever um, you know they send children back into the classrooms. So they've said, we're going to prioritize certain groups. So students who are most vulnerable and that the state has said will do better if they're back in the classrooms. And that is um, elementary school students, students with disabilities, and students who are uh, English language learners. And so anyone who works with those students will be prioritized first. But it's important to note that, A lot of what happens in Pennsylvania happens at a local level when it comes to education. There are 500 school districts in the state and there are 43 in Allegheny County. And so those school leaders will still have to make decisions about who is prioritized within their building, um, depending on who's gone back first. And if students are already back, you know, in Pittsburgh Public, students have for the vast majority of students have not been back in classrooms since last March. So the district has planned to bring some of them back in April, but that will be left up to Pittsburgh public schools of who will be vaccinated first.
0: Okay, so that gets me to the question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. Does this mean schools will open back up across the board before the end of the school year? Sounds like it's a it's a soft maybe here.
1: Sure, a soft maybe. I will say no. It does not mean that all students will return to schools in person this year. It definitely increases the likelihood that they'll go back, but the state is not mandating vaccines for anyone. So this is still voluntary. And Johnson & Johnson is one dose, so that will definitely speed things along. In Pittsburgh Public Schools, for example, the teachers union had said they don't want teachers to go back until they receive both doses. And that takes at least a month. So you know, one dose will mean maybe more students can go back. That's definitely the push. That's what the Wolf administration has said. This is why they're doing this initiative to give these doses to teachers. Um, but again, so much of this is at the local level, so it's a maybe.
0: Okay, so it's gonna, it's going to vary from school district to school district, and I know, and obviously there are districts that are already you know in teaching in person without teachers being fully vaccinated. Well, I want to go back to one point you made. You said that Governor Wolf said they'll need he estimates that they'll need about 200,000 doses. But we said there's actually way more than that staff. So so does that take into account like vaccine hesitancy or people who may not get the vaccine? Where does that figure come from?
1: That's a good question. Um, The state said that the um, surveys that they'll give to school districts will help them know exactly how many doses they'll need of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because teachers were in 1B for um, the entire time, but teachers could have been in 1A for other reasons. So people might have been vaccinated. So I'm not sure if it's um, hesitancy or more so of we might we might not need as many because a lot of people might have already been vaccinated. But that's not data that we have on a, a statewide a statewide level.
0: Well, Sarah, thank you so much for explaining all of this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Liz.
0: It's time for a quick break. We'll be right
1: back. Start your day with Inbox Edition, stories about Pittsburgh. Sign up for our daily
2: newsletter at WESA.FM slash Inbox Edition.
0: Public transit has struggled mightily during the pandemic. Revenues and ridership for the Port Authority of Allegheny County are down some 60 percent. Four employees at the agency have died from COVID-19 and many others have become ill. Despite all of these challenges and a state funding cliff drawing ever nearer, the Port Authority's CEO is optimistic about the agency's future. WESA's Margaret Krause is here with more. Margaret, welcome back to Explainer. Thanks, Liz. So way back in January 2020, the Port Authority launched its next transit initiative. Remind us, what's the goal of that?
2: Port Authority officials say you can't make good investments next year or the next five years if you don't know where you want to be in the long term. So they wanted to hear from people who currently use transit and people who would if it got them where they needed to go. They asked people to dream big and not be constrained by current realities.
0: What kinds of feedback did Port Authority get?
2: Well, first, I want to just mention that they got a lot of feedback. There was some 20,000 individual pieces of feedback, the Port Authority said, and that feedback stretched from, can you create a North Hills flyer to, hey, I just really need a sidewalk to get to my transit stop. And interestingly, from the start of this process, which was January of 2020 to the present, they saw this shift where people had been having super big ideas. They really took that dream big mandate seriously. Um, but there was kind of a shift to like, hey, I have a really specific piece of feedback, because I found out that I could go to the grocery store, to the doctor's office to home or like to childcare, or daycare, if this thing existed. So I think the pandemic kind of like in many things became this great revealer, where people saw a true need that could be answered with transit, and they started asking for that.
0: So things like, what are some examples of these sort of smaller, more sort of discrete? You mentioned the sidewalks. Um, What else did they hear?
2: So most of Port Authority's service connects through downtown. So you come to downtown and then you go to where you need to go. And a lot of people were like, you know, it would be great if I didn't have to do that, if I could just jump from one community to the next without ever having to come into downtown. So that was one thing where people were like, it would be great to have a route that just went to these couple of communities or even just routes that circulate between two neighborhoods in Pittsburgh.
0: I can't help but wonder whether ridership will bounce back when this pandemic is finally behind us. Just because we may see some aspects of our lives continue to happen remotely, you know, work, doctor's appointments. And then you add to this the fact that millions of dollars in state funding are set to evaporate for public transit next year. What is making Port Authority leadership actually optimistic about the future.
2: Well, before I talk about that, I just want to have us remember that even though ridership is way down for Port Authority, there are still thousands of people who need it. Even if life retains some of its remoteness, like there's still a great need. But to answer your question about why Port Authority is optimistic, before the pandemic, the Port Authority actually saw a growth in ridership, while most other transit authorities continued to see a decline. And the feedback from Next Transit suggests there's a ton of untapped demand for transportation. It just isn't going where people need it to go right now. And so while Next Transit is about designing the transportation system for the county's future, And it includes things like, you know, maybe there's more inclines uh, or maybe there's more light rail. There's also stuff that Port Authority knows it can do in the short term that could help answer some of that demand. So that's one thing. The Biden administration is also keen on reducing energy footprints. And so transportation is a really effective way to do that. There's also now Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who talks about how, transportation can be a real economic driver. And Port Authority knows that Port Authority is a big economic driver for the state. So there's an argument to be made that enabling transportation, not just, you know, maintaining what we've got, but growing that system could really help grow the economy in Allegheny County, which is a major driver for the state. Kellerman says, she's quoting a transportation expert named Jeanette Sadiq Khan, but her paraphrase is like, It's not freedom to live with a car, it's freedom to live without a car. Like, there are public goods like the library or parks. No one's (laughs) saying, Kelvin was like, no one's saying, oh, if you want to be outside, get your own yard. You know, so why is it with, with getting around this essential thing like going from point A to point B that people are like, well, you have to have a car? Expanding this conversation about like transit is for everyone is a key piece of this right now.
0: Margaret, thanks so much for your reporting. Thanks, Liz. It's time for another break. Stay with us.
1: March is Women's History Month. Throughout the month, we'll be showcasing great women in our monthly on-demand music stream. Join WYEP as we celebrate. You'll be able to listen to a playlist of some of the best women in music and bands led by women. Go to wyep.org slash march.
0: Democrats are often seen as the party of green energy and are sometimes accused by their Republican colleagues of being anti-fossil fuel and anti-jobs. But this week, a Democratic state house committee invited representatives of the fossil fuel industry to speak about energy jobs in the 21st century. State Impact Pennsylvania's Rachel McDevitt says this and another recent hearing in Harrisburg demonstrate how far policy is from agreeing with climate science and how far some Democrats are from agreeing with each other. Rachel, thanks for being on Explainer.
3: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: What did people from the fossil fuel industry say about how they fit into the state's energy future?
3: Yeah, the basic message was that fossil fuels have been an important part of Pennsylvania's past, and they will continue to be an important part of Pennsylvania's future. Now, the jobs going into the 21st century look different than the jobs in the 19th century and the 20th century, um, at one point, a console representative said, you know, this isn't your grandpa's coal company anymore. <laughs> um, so there is a lot more technology. The types of jobs are different. And I think that was sort of the message they wanted to put out there is that we are evolving into the 21st century. But at the end of the day, the message was fossil fuels are here, they're important, and they're going to continue to be a large part of Pennsylvania's energy mix.
0: What a climate scientists say? Like, should fossil fuels be a part of the energy mix going forward?
3: At one point during these hearings, our representative with the Marcellus Shale Coalition said that natural gas is going to be a solution every step of the way going forward. And climate scientists say that's just not true. They are not part of the solution in every step of the way. There has to be a step where we stop burning them or at least stop emitting their greenhouse gases into the atmosphere because that's what's causing the problem, right? That's what's accelerating climate change and causing problems into the future. So we do need to move to a low or no carbon energy mix. We do need natural gas right now. We do need fossil fuels to create the energy that we all need every day. And so there has to be a transition. It's not going to be an on-off switch where we switch on one day. Um, But The transition needs to happen and it needs to happen more quickly than the trajectory is currently moving.
0: Do climate scientists have a sense of like when we need to stop using fossil fuels?
3: The agreed upon science is that we need to stop emitting greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 to avoid the worst effects of climate change.
0: Okay, so that that stop emitting is something different, though, than stop using fossil fuels, right?
3: Right. It could it could mean that we still burn natural gas, but that we capture the emissions. Um, and that was a topic during the hearings. Um, carbon capture and sequestration, carbon capture and storage, those technologies were mentioned. Those are technologies that would stop those emissions from reaching the atmosphere and causing that warming sensation. Um, but the technology so far has been very expensive. It doesn't um, allow those t- those fossil fuels to really compete in the market as they do without the carbon capture. So that could be a solution if, if it's scaled up.
0: You noted in your reporting that these hearings were hosted by both Democrats and Republicans. So, does that signal some bipartisan agreement in Harrisburg on these issues?
3: There may be some bipartisan agreement that fossil fuels will be around in Pennsylvania for a long time. Um, that's in disagreement with what you know, climate scientists say we need to do to avoid the worst effects of climate change. But there's also it's also signaling this split in the Democratic Party, because as you noted at the top, Democrats are usually the party that is promoting green energy, a clean transition. But in Pennsylvania, we still have Democrats who represent extraction areas. They want to protect these jobs in coal or natural gas. Um, And we also have Democrats who are very closely aligned with labor unions who have ties to fossil fuel-related industries. And so they have a vested interest in keeping their jobs.
0: What is being done in Pennsylvania right now To address climate change?
3: It's a big question, but there's a fairly small answer. There's not a lot being done at the legislative level. Um, Nothing new, really. The biggest thing that's happening right now is that Governor Tom Wolf is trying to join the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which would basically put a price on the carbon pollution from power plants. That is still working its way through the regulatory system. There is some bipartisan agreement in the legislature that he either doesn't have the authority to do that or that it would be bad for Pennsylvania. So that is still playing out. It is not a final regulation. There is another regulation working its way through the process that would control emissions from existing oil and gas wells. So that would um, help limit the amount of methane reaching the atmosphere.
0: Rachel, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That's Pittsburgh Explainer for this week. Our show is produced by Katie Blackley. Larkin Page Jacobs is our managing editor. You can find all of our news coverage at our website wesa.fm and of course on the air at 90.5 FM. I'm your host Liz Reed. Thanks for listening. Let's talk next week.